what a powerful, powerful morning to be in church. I'm so glad we did this. I'm so glad we didn't, we didn't take today and just rest, even though there's a rightful time for that, but I think it's so right that we're here. And uh, if you took time to be here today at any of our locations, it's not an accident that you're here. We're pumped that we get to hear from the Word of God together. And you're walking in on week two of a four-week sermon series through the New Testament letter called Second Peter. Second Peter is short and concise because it is Peter's final letter knowing that he is about to be taken from his earthly body. And he's going to actually say that in the passage we read today. And so as his last letter, he's giving some final warnings and encouragements that are super intense, very encouraging on the one end, and then very intense on the warning end, but so powerful what we got to see last week. Last Sunday was the best part of Second Peter. I'll say it from the beginning, Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. His divine power has given us every, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Those, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not I really didn't practice that that much, kind of. Um, but I like, that's a bank verse for me. Knowing that the grace of God is not just intended to forgive you of your sins and get you to heaven one day, but the grace of God is actually extended to you with power to live today. It's something you gotta know. You gotta hold that. You gotta keep it in mind. Every day when the when the insufficiency comes, when the lack comes, when the lies come and say, you can't, you won't, you're not, you've gotta be able to go there in your mind and go, because Jesus lives on the inside of me, his divine power has given me everything I need for life and godliness. So I can't encourage you enough to listen to that message. It was called Empowered by Grace, because I never want us to pretend to exalt a grace that is actually cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about cheap grace. It's the type of grace that offers forgiveness with no repentance. It's the type of grace that just cancels out what you did lately, but doesn't offer the power to change and transform what you're doing moving forward. When we talk about the grace of God, it is so much more than we've given Jesus credit for. Forgiveness is amazing and godliness is available. Let's be those people. But we're going to turn the page, even though I don't want to. I feel like we could do four weeks on that section of verses. We're going to turn the page to the end of Second Peter chapter 1. But before we do, I want to give you the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon is called, Why the Bible? Why the Bible? Could you look at somebody next to you and just say, tell me why? Tell me why. And if you're a millennial like myself, say it in a Backstreet Boy voice. Say it. Tell me why. Come on. I, I was terrible, I know, okay? That's why I'm not up here singing. That's why when we have those moments, I don't know if you ever noticed this, where I'm talking and then we go back into singing. You see this thing in my back pocket? That's what turns my mic on and off before I sing anything ever off. It goes instantly. And I tell them, if I forget, that is the only time you have the option to mute me. If I am singing and I am unaware of it, you mute me in a second. Peter's going to deal with the scriptures today, and we're going to answer a question that non-believers and believers ask alike. Why so much emphasis on the Bible? What's the deal with 66 books contrived by many different authors over different time periods, genres, and stories brought together? Why do Christians, and specifically, why does our church make such a big deal about the word of God? Why do we talk about it like it is the source of truth, like it's inerrant and infallible? 
And I'm not up here to do an apologetic defense of the scriptures. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why you can trust that this is accurate. There are voices and people with expertise that are way more qualified to make that argument than I do. I just want to preach this passage of scripture and show you that in these verses, Peter is actually articulating why we keep the scriptures in the center. And that's not to say that we worship the scriptures. I love that one of our elders, David Fickner, a couple weeks ago, he said, we love to hold up our Bibles here when we do the Bible drill. He said, but make no mistake about it. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the author. And we believe the author is perfect. And the one who the scriptures point us to, Jesus, is actually the one who we are relationally seeking out. So those are my prefaces. Not a holistic defense of the scripture as truth. And definitely not an opportunity to worship the scriptures, but an invitation to know Jesus deeper. It's fitting that we would do this. If you brought your Bible on July 4th weekend, hold it up. Hold it up. All of our locations, hold it up. Hold it up high. Okay, lately we've been using the Bible drill as like an opportunity to take polls. And I don't know why. We haven't really been doing the single people thing, but I'm just going to go with that wave while we got it. Keep it up. Don't worry. It's not scary. If you have ever been to, this is what we did on July 4th growing up in my house. And so I'm going to find out who's from the Atlanta area. If you have been to the Stone Mountain Laser Show before, keep your Bible up. Few the proud. Yes, all of our locations. Y'all look around. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Stone Mountain Laser Show, y'all. Game changer on July 4th. The, the devil went down to Georgia, would play, and you're like, oh, I'm so confused about what I'm learning because this is different than what they taught me in church. I'm nine. And then at the end, when the fireworks go off, I'm proud to be an American, comes on. And I'm, and I'm like crying not knowing why. I'm just feeling all the emotion in the world. And I I do hope that on July 4th, you do take a moment to become emotionally aware of how grateful you should be to be a citizen of this country, if you are, for those who have paid the ultimate price with their lives. Yeah, you can clap for America. It's, uh, It's okay to be grateful for a country that's not perfect. And it's okay to like speak out that gratitude. Um, gratitude does not equal idolatry. We don't make the building of America the main point. It's the building of the kingdom of God. At the same time, there are so many things on a weekend like this that we should be grateful for. And I was actually born in the Philadelphia era, area and recently got to go back there and um, be in the room where the documents were signed at Independence Hall. And it just gives me goosebumps to think about this group coming together and forming out of thin air some of these ideas that endure to this day and lead to the freedoms that we now enjoy. And even your freedom to hate on this country is something that was bought with blood. And so I, I, I think it's just rightful that the people of God stay grateful and at the same time work toward change. Have burdens in your heart that you want to be a part of seeing change, but never let that become something that makes you ungrateful. Okay, Second Peter. We're going to get to Second Peter. Some of you are like, I'm worried about what you're going to say next. Let's talk about the monument on Stone Mountain. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's only one service today, y'all, loaded with energy and not going to talk about that. Didn't know what it meant when I was nine, by the way. Okay, Second Peter, chapter one. My wife's on the front row. She's like, get in the word. Is it? Part of the reason why you got to stay close to this because it keeps you safe. As a preacher, you're like, hide behind what God says. Okay, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. If you're there, say I'm there. That's where we left off last week. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, normally I read the whole passage that we're going to study and then talk about it after. But in this one, there's so many times I was practicing the sermon this week and I was like, I just want to stop make sure that this is clear, even as I'm reading it. So go back to verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. That phrase, make every effort, is used three times in this chapter alone. Clearly, one of Peter's driving points early on in the letter is there's an effort involved to a gospel-centered life. There's an effort involved, not an effort to try harder, but an effort to, by your knowledge, connect to the promises of God and live out the Christian life. And he says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. In other words, make every effort to confirm the fact that God's the one who called you and chose you. And you read that and you go, that doesn't, I'm supposed to make an effort to confirm what God already completed. And Peter is not pointing to the fact that by you making an effort in your faith, you earn the fact that God chose you. He's pointing to the fact that if God chose you, that is revealed through a lifestyle of fruit that will look like gospel-driven effort. It's not effort before you're chosen. It's brought into the family of God so fruit may abound. It works itself out in real time. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now you read that and you're like, he's calling for perfection. You will never stumble. That is, in English, does not sound the way it sounds in Greek. That phrase, never stumble, doesn't mean never make a mistake, never take a misstep, never have a bad day. That word never stumble means never fall away completely. Never deny Jesus and just go, I'm I'm done with my faith. I'm out, which was a very real temptation 2,000 years ago and is today, but much more so 2,000 years ago with the persecutions that were breaking out at this time. And Peter's going, the things I'm calling you to do, the reminders I'm giving you in this letter, if you actually make an effort to apply these things and remember these things, you are not going to fall away and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do not just read that and pass it over and go to the next thing. Peter is guaranteeing what a lifestyle looks like that will lead to you walking in to where you will spend eternity and receiving a rich welcome. That means applause and approval from the God of the universe. That means who knows what materially. That by living the life Peter is prescribing, you're saying yes to an eternity where God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and be responsible for, come and look after even more in my eternal kingdom. There is a driving force to gospel-driven effort, and it's not, I'm going to do these things so God will do that. It's that our eyes are open to the fact that Jesus offers us a better life than we could ever dream, and when we're tempted in our sin to believe that gratifying these desires would be better than those desires, we remember that eternally speaking, when the sinful nature is totally and completely put off, I will now have the capacity to enjoy the eternal pleasures of God forevermore. Jesus has like, Pleasures abounding forevermore at his right hand, the scripture says. Heaven is not a place that we look forward to sort of, well, I'm glad I have an option for eternal life because that would be kind of depressing if it all ended here. Heaven is something that's always on our minds and lips. We set our minds on things that are above and with eyes set on Jesus, it gives us a motivation to actually put in the effort right now, not to earn it, but because it's ours in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Now go to verse 12. This is the new section. So I will always remind you of these things, 
even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will, here's our phrase, make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. If you want to circle 12 to 15, that's the purpose of 2 Peter. Purpose of 2 Peter in those verses. I will always remind you of this. Even though Peter's going, I know you're a believer. I know you know this, but I'm doing this by way of reminder. And then he says, I think it is right to refresh your memory. I love the NIV for the most part. Not going to apologize for that. But there are moments where the NIV just gives you weak stuff. And that's one of them. This phrase, refresh your memory, is actually a phrase that means stir to affection and action. This is not a, hey, in case you forgot, you need to remember this. Peter's going, you got to get this in you to let affection for God and action in your life rise up. I'm I'm writing this so that you'll be welled up to action because watch this. He says, as long as I live in the tent of this body, he compares his body to a temporary dwelling place. And then he says, I know I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. In other words, Peter goes, I'm going to die soon. How did Peter know this? Three different possibilities. And I think they're all true. Number one, He's getting old. And there's something about aging that keeps you increasingly aware of the fact that this life is not all there is. And Peter's going, I want to write this letter because I'm leaving the tent of this body. And I want you to remember, I want you to stir in your faith some of these truths that God has written into my life and into the early church. I don't want you to forget. And I know I'm going to be gone soon. So he's getting older. Number two is Emperor Nero is now ruling in Rome, and he will actually give the order for Peter's execution. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to die the same way Jesus died because he called himself unworthy. Nero's in power and blaming Christians for a lot of his poor leadership. Christians are being burned on the streets as torches for people to walk through. And Peter's going, I'm pretty sure it's going to end soon. But then he says, the Lord Jesus Christ has made this clear to me. You remember Jesus' last conversation with Peter before he ascended to the right hand of God? What did he say? He said, I tell you the truth. When you are older, you're going to be taken to go somewhere that you don't want to go. He compares the beginning of Peter's life as a baby where you didn't choose to get dressed. You didn't choose anything. People just took care of you with their hands. But at the end of your life, people are going to take care of you with their hands and take you where you don't want to go. He pretty much guarantees Peter a martyr's death. And Peter goes, I'm getting older. There's persecution everywhere, and Jesus told me it's over soon. That's how he has this awareness, and he's making his last-ditch effort to see that after your departure, he will be able to remember these things. I don't know if y'all have, like, family members that wrote a last will and testament with a letter to you, but that's never something that you read flippantly, like a thank-you note, and throw away. I mean, that's something that you keep in a safe place. Like, if... If the whole house burnt down, that's where your mind goes of, I got to save that. I just want to remind us because this second Peter can get stuck as it's this little New Testament letter in this 66 book collection. And it's, I mean, it's not really elevated as some of the most important ones. Y'all, this is Peter. This is Jesus's guy on his deathbed going, I'm gone soon. Here's my last reminders for the church and make sure you don't forget these and these things spur you to action. Now let that sober you up as you read this next set. For we, the apostles, 
did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Go back up to verse 16. Let's study this. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories. If you have ESV, I think it says myths. In the Greco-Roman world, the way of talking about the gods, little g, was to tell stories called myths. And nobody actually thought that these stories about Apollos or Zeus or Athena, nobody thought the stories were real, but they thought the meanings behind the stories taught you about the universe all around you. So some false teaching has broken out in Peter's day that the stories the apostles have told about Jesus are actually methodical in that they're just meant to tell you stuff about God they didn't actually happen. And that's how they're able to undermine Peter's teaching about the day of the Lord, which is the return of Christ. Some of Peter's teaching about how a Christian has to obey the ways of God if they actually really want to participate in the divine nature. And so false teachings breaking out and Peter's like, I just want you to know, we didn't sit around a table and make up these stories. We didn't come up with this new religion. We were there, eyewitnesses of his majesty, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. That's the transfiguration of Jesus. If you want to read those stories this week, they're in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. Peter was with James and John when Jesus was transfigured in glory on a mountain and Moses and Elijah are visiting with Jesus who's beaming with the glory of God. That's what the story is about. And the disciples are trying to figure it out. It's actually one of Peter's most embarrassing moments because Peter's like, okay, here's what we'll do. I'll make a tent for Elijah and Moses. And, and you can just feel Jesus like, he, Jesus doesn't even respond to him. He, you can just feel him like, not the point, Peter, just Sometimes Peter just needs to be quiet and listen and just pay attention to what God's doing in a moment. And so th there's this cloud that sort of takes over the whole scene in glory. And all of a sudden, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus switches to just Jesus. And the same voice that was present at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, is present at the transfiguration. Peter is saying, what we have told you about Jesus was not something that we contrived in a back room. We wrote down what God revealed. And what God decided to reveal is that the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, have been fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And we are staking our claims on the voice that came that we didn't conjure up and the revelation that is ours simply objectively by watching on the sacred mountain. Now, stay with me because this is going to get deep. The very next verse, Peter's going to equate what he saw at the Mount of Transfiguration with the truth of the Old Testament. Watch this. We also, verse 19, have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Thank you, royal ambassadors at Roswell Street Baptist Church. That's where I learned that one. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is huge, massive moment in the Bible. Peter goes, you think we made this up? We were there. We wrote down what we heard, what we saw. We didn't even understand it, but we just wrote down what we saw. It was God who revealed that. Also, you need to know the prophetic message. What does that mean? Obviously, it refers to the prophets of the Old Testament. But we believe because Peter reaches for that picture of transfiguration, he's not just talking about prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament as a whole. And he's going, hey, what was written before Jesus? We know we can bank on this to be true because that wasn't conjured up by humans who decided what to write either. It was brought and carried along by the Holy Spirit who inspired people to write down what God says. In other words, in these verses, you have Peter defending a doctrine that in the Reformation was called sola scriptura. It's where we get scripture alone. You ever seen those on our walls? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, from scripture alone, for God's glory alone. This is the scripture piece. Peter is putting in front of us this idea that The Bible is not just a set of books to study for history. He's putting in front of us this idea that the Bible is the revelation of the character and the heart of God and the invitation for human beings to get to know the God who reveals himself. That the scripture is actually the vision and the voice of God. And it's where you go to look and listen, to see him and to hear him. First Samuel chapter three, I learned this truth a couple years ago that the word of God and seeing God and hearing God are always synonyms in the Bible. So you're here, people who are curious about their faith go, I want to get serious about Jesus, but I just, if, if I could just see him or hear him, I want a vision of who he is. And I also want something audible that I can hear. But here's the thing. And I don't know if there's any Christians in the room who would disagree with me on this. I hope not. And even if there is, I have the microphone. So uh, we're going to go with this. I've never seen God. Never had him walk by me. Never had a moment where it's like, that, oh, that's what he looks like. That's great. I've never heard an audible voice of God. I've had moments with the Holy Spirit where it might as well have been audible. It was so clear. But never out loud. Why does God do that? God does this because on the basis of faith, seeing and hearing God is the word of the Lord our God. When you open this book, You are not simply invited to the study of content. You are invited across the table from God Almighty who wants to reveal and speak. And that is why Peter uses this story. So anytime, everybody look up here, don't miss this. I know this message is deep, could be confusing. I don't want it to be confusing. Anytime I'm reading something like this, I like to pay attention to things things that pop into my head of, why would you do that? Peter is making an argument that they didn't make up these stories about Jesus. They were there, and he can choose any story he wants. Keep in mind, Peter was there for the resurrection of Jesus. Peter was there for the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He was there when lepers were healed. He was there when lifelong people who were confirmed blind were able to see. And yet, when Peter goes, we didn't make this up, we saw blank. The story he chooses is an obscure story about Jesus being transfigured on a mountain. Why pick this story? Read it again. 
For we did not, verse 16, follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Here's why Peter chose this story. Because this story is about a vision and the voice of God at the same time. Witnessing the glory of God, hearing the voice of God. For Peter, what he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of Jesus, the summation of the law and the prophets in Christ is what you and I are invited to see with spiritual eyes every time we open our Bibles. So why? Why the Bible? Here's why. It's not just a book. It's not just a set of books. This is the revealed power of God slid across the table to you to a God you can know. From a God you can know. And when you and I start to understand, hold on, this is, a, this is not an argument that hinges on reason and historical accuracy. The big question about what I do with the Bible really comes down to what I believe about the author. Do you believe that human beings made up the revelation of what's here? Or do you believe that God himself revealed it? And here's what's crazy. When God decided to reveal his word, he sent his son. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That means that when we say word of God, we're not just talking about the Bible. We're talking about Jesus, because Jesus is the vision and the voice of God. So the scriptures are an open invitation to know him in a personal relationship that grows over time, and a relational connection that you end up building your life on. And at ACC, I have to preach this message because I know there are so many people who are saying yes to new steps in their faith. But if you never get to the point where you understand that the Bible is your invitation to hear from God, by what? The power of the Holy Spirit. See, the same Holy Spirit who carried the message to the prophets is the Holy Spirit who's alive in you as a believer. Think about that. The writer with you. And the Holy Spirit starts illuminating things from the scriptures. As you're reading this, and I know we read it with distractions, and I know we open our Bibles and we're tired and we have a lot of things going on, but I want to remind us in this moment, when you open your Bible, God wants to speak to you. Like directly to you. And this won't happen every time. This won't happen on the back end of a few steps that you take. But you can bank your life on the revelation of Scripture. Not just hold the whole Genesis to Revelation, but the revelation of Scripture in the person of Christ who communicates to you in real time. You want to go deeper in your faith in Jesus? You want to experience the life Jesus died and rose for you to live? Watch what happens when what's written on a page comes alive in your life. Watch what happens when God gently whispers something to you in a moment where you're going, there's no way that I'm reading that and that's happening. And oh, no, there is a way. That's how God talks to his people. 
So you're running into these spaces expecting God to shout out from the sky what he wants to say to you, and you're frustrated with him. And I feel like God, he doesn't get frustrated because he's perfect, but he definitely could respond with some level of volume going, I've already told you. It's right here. And when you and I take the steps to not just study this for knowledge's sake, but to hold it and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the person of Christ, your faith will come alive. We don't graduate to a new level of knowledge in some kind of spiritual moment of inertia that's outside of the Bible. It is the Bible that makes those moments have weight. That's why everything we're singing You're not going to experience the power of the encounters of God in this room singing a soft rock song the same way or a country song, even if it's about America, like even if, whatever. What's the weight? The weight isn't the way the melody is contrived. It's the weight behind the truth that's been revealed. And so we worship and we're illuminating Jesus And we get to walk with him. Why the Bible? Because it's not just a book. It's not just a collection of books. It's God objectively revealing himself to and through human beings and also inviting them to know him. So, Miles, what do you want me to do with this message? I want this summer, the back end, for your personal priority in your time with God to awaken a new love for the scriptures and them come alive in your life personally. I want that for you. I want that for me. And I could preach all day on what, what, why, does, why is the Bible at the center? Why is Jesus at the center? Yes, but I also want you to leave church today and have something to do with this message other than read the Bible, start in John. And that's generally what we do with people, right? We're like, um, it's, it's, the beginning can be confusing. There's a snake talking. So um, fast forward, Jesus. Yes, you, you need community around you and you need people who are speaking into you. You also need a Bible you can understand. If you're here and the, the only Bible you have is that King James Bible that your grandparents gave you and it's stuck you know, somewhere in your house collecting dust, we will give you a Bible on your way out today. We have Jesus Bibles over there. They tell the thread of the story of Jesus, Genesis all the way to Revelation. We want to do everything we can to empower your time with the Lord. But I want to give you three quick things before you leave today that you can do every single time you get alone with God. And maybe the Bible will become more than a document that defends the truths of our faith, but it will become an opportunity to illuminate the person of Jesus and speak to you in your life individually. Sound good? Y'all with me? Number one, this is huge. We always skip this one. Invite the Holy Spirit. When you open the Bible, even if it's for two seconds, two word prayer, Spirit come. Spirit come. The Bible can be confusing. It can be a lot, especially if you haven't been in church very long. But where the Holy Spirit illuminates, you are actually reading a book in a way you can read no other book because you get to read it with the author. So imagine just some of the greats historically, authors like Tolkien, C.S. Lewis. Imagine if when you sat down reading their greatest works, they offered to at any time of day, whenever you open their books to come sit across the table for you and tell you what they mean. Imagine that. You're going, that would be a game changer for the way I would assume what they meant by this and a game changer for, man, that, that would be amazing. Essentially, and I realize that it's, it's, it's spiritual and it's, it's not as simple as physically sitting across the table from someone. Essentially, that's what the scriptures are arguing God did for you. 
that if the Holy Spirit fills you, you don't read the Bible alone. You read it with the one who carried the authors in the first place. And so this is, this is not perfect. And you're going to have moments where you assume things that weren't actually there. But come on, if you open the word of God and go, Holy Spirit, come open my eyes to what you want me to see. I'm telling you more times than not in your life, God will speak something that you didn't see coming. And even before you open the book, you thought it's pointless to open the book. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to take that step, check the box and move on with my day. And you will be shocked how many times it is the exact thing that you needed to hear from God in that given moment. I'm, I'm so blown away by how much of a liar the enemy is about the Bible. It's pointless. You're just going to check the box. You're just going to, and then I get in there. I'm in first and second Samuel right now. And I'm just, I'm blown away by everything I'm reading. So disappointed in Saul. So blown away by David's leadership. Again, it's like the, I, I try to read those two once a year because there's heavy leadership things in, in both of those. And I'm going, man, God, every time. Your Holy Spirit illuminates something. It's like exactly what I'm needing in this given moment. But you got to invite the Holy Spirit to be the one who illuminates Jesus because what's, how does the Trinity work? I'll go into that. No, what? No. Um, <laughs> you experience, John Owen says it this way, you experience the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Trinity's weird uncle. It's the word holy literally means set apart. And when we read that in scripture, we always think holy as meaning like totally pure or um, morally right or powerful. The word holy, I think a good English word is special. Like it's almost as if when God calls something holy, if he's got like a choice of 10 different things, but there's this one that he goes to that's just different. When, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, don't think, oh, I get Father, I get Son, I don't get Holy Spirit. Maybe part of the reason why he stands out a little bit is because he's supposed to. And maybe you're supposed to open your eyes to what he's revealed in the scriptures that he wrote about himself, which is what? The Holy Spirit is not here so that you talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit exists to illuminate Jesus. So if you know that's his tendency and you go, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word and let me meet with and be changed by Jesus. I'm telling you, he'll be faithful to do it because it's who he is and it's what he loves to do. Invite the Holy Spirit. That's number one. Number two, y'all still with me? We're gonna power through two more. Tremble at his word. Tremble at his word. When we open the Bible, it is not a flippant study of content contrived about the God of Israel. It is a reverent, heart-bowed, available spirit to go, God, what you say, when it doesn't look like what I think, what you said wins. And sometimes what God says flows totally contrary to your feelings or your behavior lately. And in that moment, we come to God with reverent fear because the scriptures expose our sins. Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 66. He says, these are the ones, this is God talking, I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God literally going, here's who I favor, the humble, the sorrowful, and those who tremble at my word. See, the problem with the people of Israel is the way they treated the prophets was that the word of God was just this thing on the side that they needed to consider sometimes. 
But those who tremble at the word of God experience the favor of God. It's when we come before the word, not with our assumptions and our opinions and to see how it can help support those, but we come in submission to the word going, not only do I submit my ways and my behaviors underneath you, but I submit my opinions. You know, as believers, we don't have a choice about a lot of the things that scripture has already spoken about. We submit lovingly to his word because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And where the people of God tremble at the word of God, they have no reason to tremble before any man. Because if you're bowed and submitted at the feet of Jesus, everywhere else you've got clarity and perspective for how you're supposed to relate as a New Testament believer and follower of the way. We come before the word with reverent fear because our sin is exposed. And then number three, that was a quick one. Number three, abide in the word. Abide in the word. So if we come before the word with reverent fear because our sin is exposed, we come before the word with radical faith because his grace is revealed. When you read the scriptures, you're going to read about a holy God who through the prophets of old and the story of Jesus is inviting people into a reconciled relationship with him. And the invitation from Jesus, John 15, abide in me remain in me. In fact, John 15 and 16 is so much of what I'm preaching today. And I haven't even thought about this. It was the night before Jesus died. That discourse is Jesus's last letter to his disciples. And what does he say? Abide in me and I in you for apart from me, you can do nothing. Remaining in the word of God is how we abide in Jesus. So stop seeing your abiding in the word as disconnected from your abiding in the son of God. No, it helps you to remain in him. But when you read this, you're gonna be blown away by his holiness and his worthiness and how great God is and how small you are. But you know what the other thing you're gonna be blown away by? is how compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness he is. As awesome as it is to talk about the truth of God's word and how amazing God is and we're in total submission, one of the great mysteries and revelations about all of this is that this God in these pages is not who any of us would have come up with if we were creating God. He's more loving, he's more patient, he's more kind, he's slower to anger than any of us would really be comfortable with if we knew him better. We're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks. And so I want you to know this today. If you've been far from God, maybe it's been forever since you've read the Bible and today's been one big reminder of, man, I need to be more consistent in my quiet times. No, do not let that be this sermon. This is the invitation from a God who when he made his name known, wanted you to know that he's slow to anger, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. If what the Holy Spirit does is illuminate Christ as a whole, what the Trinity does is forgive people and bring them into an opportunity to experience the glory of God. And as God is glorified through your life, guess what else happens? You're satisfied in the process. So stay in it, remain. Some of you just being in church today, the reminder is this, God is not done with your story. Pick your Bible back up and turn the page because he's got a new story. He's got a new chapter. He hasn't given up on you yet. There's more coming. There's more for your family. There's more for your church. There's more for your community group. Turn the page and abide in the word of God because if you are still breathing today, God is not finished with your story. 
I want the gospel to be on display today. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity. It's not an opportunity to pray a prayer so you feel better about where you're going to go when you die. Church has lied about that for way too long. It's an opportunity into the kingdom of God where you get to reorient your life around this. Jesus at the center of it all. Let's stand to our feet at all of our locations. I want to pray over you before we sing, and then we're going to go. Everything you can do to stay present in this moment. Let's go heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you know that God is calling you back into submission to his word and his ways, whether it's the first time or whether this has just been a hard year, I wanna pray for you right now. And I wanna ask you that as I pray, even if you have to whisper it in the seat you're in right now, just be whispering to God, God, hear my prayer. Holy Spirit, come, God, hear me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder that your word is true. We don't need to apologize for it. We just need to celebrate Jesus, exalt you for who you are and submit. But Father, I pray for my friends, either in this room, watching online or at any location who feel far from you. Would you surprise them this holiday weekend by inviting them back into loving union? Help there be moments of sweet intimacy with you this week as they open their Bibles. Help us to catch a vision of you that reminds us of how holy you are, how set apart you are, and also reminds us that we've been invited as well. Thank you for the scene of your throne room that we're invited to because you offer us forgiveness. God, let us tremble at your word. Holy Spirit, you are invited. And Jesus, we want to abide in you and bear much fruit. Move now in this space. We sing to you. We lift our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.